Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Talking Ship. I'm so excited and so grateful that you're tuning in. And because it's the first episode, I'm going to give like a teeny tiny introduction to myself. And then everything else about me will just be revealed as we continue to do this. So I'm Megan. I live in Brooklyn and I'm a longtime holder of opinions about television and specifically television relationships. And to put it simply, I wanted to do this podcast because I love talking about people. I love talking about relationships. I love talking about the progressions of romance and essentially why people do the things that they do. I find that endlessly fascinating. And when you get to do that in a way that is curious and compassionate and you get to do it with people that are smart and thoughtful and hilarious, I could literally do it for hours. So that's what we're doing. And I think it's particularly fun to frame this with television because TV is something we all share it. We're all provided with the same information. Nobody has an inside scoop. Nobody has prior knowledge. The differences in opinions come from our own unique experiences. And I think that intersection between the shared and the specific is what we can learn from. And it's what sparks discussion and debate and hopefully lively conversation. So that's what you're in for. And so with that, speaking of lively conversation and conversational lists, I'm so excited to introduce my co-host for season one, one of my favorite humans and favorite holders of opinions, Miss Katie Butterwitz. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I I agree with you. I, I do really like holding opinions. And um, I, I would say as a Gemini, I really like sharing the opinion. Mm-hmm. If you're listening and you don't already know this somehow, Megan and I met in college at UCLA where we both studied hashtag acting, hashtag acting, hashtag, hashtag drama, hashtag actor, hashtag Instagood. Um, <laughs> and so that's how we met. I am still in Los Angeles studying acting out here and pursuing it and teaching it on occasion, which is wild who gave me the keys to the kingdom to do that but I think it's so fun I also I mean I grew up such a tv fanatic and I'm that person who I like I would like cry watching tv when I was 12 being like I just want to be on the show my mom was like you're gonna be okay but what I think is cool is that by watching tv and watching these relationships unfold you become sort of endowed with that knowledge as well as your own I mean, I will be the first to claim and own that, like, I don't have the most dating experience in the world, but I also don't feel remiss in my knowledge or experience because I observe and I add the things that I learn by watching to the things that I know by doing to hopefully, like, get to know myself better, get to know a partner better, best navigate the world as I move forward. And I think that TV is such a special medium for that because it's serialized it's long form with a lot of other things it's a one shot one and done so like yeah I love you know uh Lizzie Bennett Mr. Darcy but like I can sit and watch that for two and a half hours and then it's done versus if we're watching a tv show I'm going to see that couple grow over a matter of years and I'm going to see 
various people come and go throughout their lives. And I'm going to change by living my own life while that's happening. And I think what that means to me and how I'm able to hold that mirror up to myself will adapt over time. So I think that's super cool. And I'm so excited to dive into this. Yeah. And I mean, I love that so much. And also, I think, especially with the show that we're about to talk about, which I'll introduce in a moment, is it's a show that I think for a lot of people our age, we discovered it at a younger age when we um, maybe identified with Rory. Oops, I gave it away. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) we're not even dating yet. And then rediscovered it for you and I like in college and then rediscovered it as the young adults that we are. So I think the way that you identify with it over time is and it's so personal because it's been with you for so long and there are so many episodes that I think that intersection of the relationship you have to it um, changing and adapting with your own experience is so interesting too. A hundred percent. And and I think, can I like say what it is now? Hopefully yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the first uh, <laughs> season we are covering Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. Oh, a classic. A classic. And we're doing Luke and Lorelai. Who are Lorelai specifically, though I'm yeah. sure we at some point might double back and uh, like take a look at one of Rory's many suitors. Yeah. Yeah. The the Wookiee in particular. Um, <laughs> but what I was going to say is I think that Gilmore Girls, like a few other shows, but not many, has such an, it poses such an interesting opportunity in that it was revived. Um, yeah. As a lot of things are now, but that plus the fact that everything's streaming now and you can rewatch things whenever you want, uh, gives you the chance to like revisit an old friend. Mm-hmm. And explore the concept of, like, you can never go home again. Yes, on the one hand, you and I both know watching our favorite shows and re-watching our favorite shows is, like, comfort food. Like, it lets you sort of hit that reset button and go home. But at the same time, you're never the same person that you were when you were first 12 years old in your bedroom watching ABC Family when you should have been doing your homework, you know? Yep. Um, you're never going to be that same person. So you're always going to be watching it with this new knowledge. And so it's super funny in your various rewatches. Like I know you just rewatched the whole thing. I rewatched pieces, you know, and I think my last whole rewatch was when the year in the life came out. And so even then, like having finished college, then at that point, I'm looking at it as a whole new person. I'm still seeing the Rory perspective, but I'm also understanding Lorelai more as an adult. It's just cool to check in and be like, oh, I didn't understand that initially, but now XYZ has happened to me and I have a whole new perspective on it. Yeah. Which is the joy we'll talk about today. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah. So we picked Luke and Lorelai because obviously, as you can tell by this conversation, we have both longtime connections with the couple. I started watching Gilmore Girls when I was a 12-year-old, probably. And they remain, even in my rewatches, like one of my favorite couples of all time. I think because, uh, you know, I love a long game. And I love relationships that come out of friendships and which I think either consciously or subconsciously, their kind of dynamic and their banter and that kind of story is what I end up falling for and craving time and time again, much usually to my detriment. But the show is so long. We just like really don't see seven season shows with a revival anymore. But yeah, the relationship has hills and valleys. They go through a lot of phases. So I thought it was a great couple to start with because there are so many places their relationship goes and there are so many 
positive and critical things to say about them. So, yeah. For me, what I think is cool about Luke and Lorelai is that for me, as in the show, they were a slow burn in that I didn't, I didn't pay them much mind to begin with. Like I, I loved it and I was on board, of course, but in my initial watching and experience of the show, I was way more enthralled with Rory and her like, Oh my God, Dean, like he's so dreamy. Oh my God. But Jess, I was all caught up in that. And I think that much like what the relationship is, I took Luke and Lorelai as a given. I think that I just sort of expected them to always be there. And I was like, cool. And there's that. And I didn't understand until I lived a little bit more life. And saw, at least for me, how prevalent that type of relationship would be. That sort of what if friend who's always there question I might want to explore until I was like, oh, shit, that's me or that's so and so. And I see that later then I was able to look back and be like, oh, this is a really cool like adult relationship. Obviously, they're both flawed and they both make mistakes, but they both try and they both try to make each other better. That was a slow burn for me, as I think it was in the writing. So I think mm-hmm. that's a super cool thing that they did. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just have so much to say about it. So I'm so, I know. so excited. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give everybody a kind of Luke and Lorelai primer. If you aren't familiar with Gilmore Girls and you're just tuning in to support us, um, we're just going to give you an overview. And because this show has been out for so many years, we are truly going to spoil the entire series and the Netflix revival. It's been out for a while, guys. So. The show is Gilmore Girls. And basically what happens is we watch them kind of build up their friendship for years and a kind of will they, won't they, flirtationship. They get together, they break up, they get together again, they break up again. And finally, at the end of season seven, they it's kind of assumed that they get together. And then in the Netflix reboot, which was 10 years, 15 years later? Mm, let's see. It ended in, what, 07, 08? And I yeah. think it was like 26 almost yeah almost almost a decade later and and in this revival they are not married and part of the revival but still together and then part of the revival is their path to eventually getting married so but for this episode specifically we are just talking about the early early seasons pre them getting together So we're going to introduce our first segment, and this segment is called Relatable Content. And so we're going to introduce some ifs, and if you identify with this, if this is relatable content to you, you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation. Let's call this the Seventeen Magazine quiz version of Are You? (laughs) So like really take it back to being in my bedroom watching ABC Family. Okay. Relatable content, you might be Luke and Lorelai if you have a friend in your life that you always go to in your times of need. You might be Luke and Lorelai if you have a friend who you just can't explain to people. They're my best friend. No, that's not it. They're like a brother. No, that's not it. They are my arch nemesis. No, that's not either. And so on and so forth. It's very specific. Uh, (laughs) Or you have... You have a friend that everyone's always making hints about you in that person. But most importantly, I think it's the person to you and maybe to your entire community of people. That's kind of your big what if person, your big what if crush, which I think is a what if crush is a very specific kind of crush that we're going to spend some time defining because 
it's different than like a celebrity crush or I was going to say the person at the coffee shop, but literally Luke and Lorelai are constantly at the coffee shop. But I mean, the person you see one day. No, but I agree with you. No, I agree with you because it's not, it's not that stranger right. in the pilot who's like, oh, I never come through yeah, yeah. here. You know, like that's different. That's a fantasy. This is a constant. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we've we've laid out some like definitions of what we think a what if crush is. So the first thing I think that makes a what if crush is a natural banter or chemistry. You just have to have that with this person. And we're actually gonna play a clip of their first Luke and Lorelai's first interaction, which is also the first dialogue of the entire Gilmore Girls series. Please Luke. Please, please, please. How many cups have you had this morning? None. Plus? Five, but yours is better. You have a problem. Yes, I do. Junkie. Angel, you've got wings, baby. You've got wings, baby. I mean, they're nickname right off the bat. They start out so flirty. And I think I like, I'll talk about this later, but I feel like I forgot how they first come across. But I do think to like Amy Sherman, Palladino's credit, that interaction sets up their chemistry so perfectly and also their relationship so perfectly 100 yeah he knows he actively comments like you have a problem like you ought in initially see their differences right away and get how they're gonna like bend for each other a bit he's still gonna like take her as she is to a degree but still comment on the fact that he does not agree with it a hundred percent the the whole banter concept and we'll talk about this even more with them but I think it's so cool because especially on a show written by and for and about smart people, banter feels like two magnets that you're like taking the opposite ends almost and like confusing them. Both of these people are used to being smarter than everyone else they talk mm-hmm. to. And the whole existence of banter and I think why it goes so quickly and you get almost that like stick pattern and why it just sort of builds and has all this sparring back and forth is because they both are like, I'm not used to being bested. Oh my God. And that's immediately so intriguing because in the same scene, you see her totally own that random guy who's pretending passing through, you know, the contrast between those two is a really cool way to set it up also. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. (laughs) I think banter for me is one of the most important parts of any sort of crush or relationship or whatever but like if I can't verbally spar with you or you can't like it's one of the most attractive things I think in a person and if you can keep up which is I think a huge thing for the Lorelai character in general and I think with so many smart people that I know is I just need someone who can keep up yeah it's funny too because (laughs) I think that I'm so um what's the word like immersed in that culture of like smart people flirting that I have almost deflected and I constantly make this joke and it's really bad but it's a joke where I just say like I just like I'm dumb I just want them to be simple and every time I say that our friends are like no you don't what are you talking about but I think it's I think it it stems from the very essence of this what if relationship those are so looming and strong and powerful that I like put this joke out into the world to deflect from it because I know that if someone does come along who really can give me a run for my money that will challenge me in such a different way that I will be powerless to it (laughs) right well and that's like another thing I think of like the big what if crush the stakes are so high everybody around you 
sees what's happening and like comments on it in like sweet ways or annoying ways, everybody would be involved if you did get together. And I think we see this in the early seasons of Gilmore Girls earlier than I thought. I think as a kid, to your point, like watching it, maybe I just wasn't paying attention to Luke and Lorelai. But it seemed to me as like, oh, they didn't know there was nothing between them. And then it kind of came in season three or four. But like in one of the first episode, Emily Gilmore, her mom, goes, you're idiots, both of you. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent, Kelly Bishop impression. <laughs> I'm really working my Kelly Bishop. Even even in that episode in the hospital that you were just talking about, before that moment, when they first show up, Emily's like, were you guys on a date? And Lorelai says, no, it's Luke, mom. And then Luke says, which is her way of saying we weren't on a date. And it's just so funny. And she's like, that's not what I meant. And he's like, no, I know. Like, it's such a given to them that they are not a couple. And their verbiage on it is so specific that he's not even like offended by it. He's just like, yeah, not even what we're talking about. It's it's so funny. I think the other thing, the third definition of what if crush is that it's something like you can't, you yourself also can't quite shake it. We see that early on in episode two, they're walking by the diner and Lorelai is like, so what do we think of Luke? And, and Rory's like, literally says, oh no, you are not dating Luke, Mm -hmm. which I think sets up the stakes of what it would be if they get together. But you see throughout the first few seasons, like she kind of keeps I think they kind of keep circling each other. And I think that's something that happens when you have this person in your life. That's like your what if person is that you'll orbit around getting closer to your feelings and then going way out of your way to get away from your feelings and like vice versa. Yeah. Another uh, props to Amy moment is at the end of that moment of the like, what do you think of Luke? Blah, blah, blah. They start walking away and that shot maybe the episode, but I think just that that scene ends on Luke standing at the door watching them walk away. And it's such a like miracle of a shot because it's somehow neither creepy nor <laughs> oppressive in any way. He's just sort of patiently, comfortably waiting. And it's yeah. sort of like, I will be here when you need me, which, and I don't even, I don't even know that he thinks that's what it is. Like, I don't know that that what like Scott Patterson was thinking but I think that that is like, the effect it has on us as the watcher but then also even even later this sort of dancing around it that you were saying like in the episode with the double date with Rune she oh my God. he like once they kick Rune out of the diner and Suki and Jackson are finally on their date Luke almost asks her out but yeah he almost not he sort of drifts off and then they get interrupted by Mrs. Kim And it's sort of that moment where it's like, would he have finished the sentence if Mrs. Kim hadn't walked in? Like, who knows? But it's the dancing of he's never fully there to ask Yeah, right, right. You see in those moments where like, you know, it's somewhere in the other person's mind. Yeah. Like it's not, even in you have these moments where it comes close and then it dissipates. And I think we'll talk about later the work that I think both of them had to do to like finally be ready for that relationship. And I think probably if they'd gotten together in season one, it would have been more of a disaster. Yeah. Um, And it just wouldn't have been as fun as an audience, which, you know, Amy probably knew. Um, And I think the other 
part of it is obviously they have this flirty banter. They have this like presence for each other, but it's also really intense mutual care for another person. And we see that if we want to talk love languages, we see that in a lot of quality time and we see that in like a lot of acts of service, which is I think if Luke and Lorelai were to have a love language, it would absolutely be acts of service. Like in the first season, I mean, there's like 900 things Luke does for her throughout the series, but in the first season... Lorelai offers also rewatching the diner looks terrible in the first okay. few episodes because totally Lorelai like yeah it's fully hardware store and I like totally forgot how bad it looks and then Lorelai offers to help him fix up the diner and that's actually like one of their most chemistry e moments of season one where like they're fixing up the diner they're talking about paint colors and then Luke's showing her this part in the store where his dad like wrote a note. Do you remember this? And they're crawling. I was just rewatching that part actually this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, they really do come so close to like, so kissing. Close. And he, then yeah, he like pulls in and then they get interrupted and she's like, no, they'll yeah. leave, they'll leave. Yeah. 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 What's wild to me later in that same episode is he then comes over because she, that's the Donna Reed episode and they lose, she loses the like baby chicken. Oh my God. Yeah. And he um, comes, she's like, come over. I lost this baby chicken. And he's like, okay. And goes over and he a hundred percent thinks it's like a booty call. If you watch it, he fully, it takes him like 30 seconds into the scene to be like, oh, you really have a baby chick here. Right. And she's like, yeah, I told you. She's She does a great job of just totally, she has no clue. And she's fully like, yes, I told you I had a baby chick. What's your problem? Yeah. Um, but it's wild to me that it was so prominent in his brain that he thought they were in a place that he could come over for like a booty call. He, even in her brain, which like, who knows if that was conscious or subconscious or not, like he is still per- still the person that she calls when she loses a baby chick or mm-hmm. when she needs money for the dot like diner and they're still each other's person in so many ways of their life regardless of where they stand romantically which doesn't even exist at this point they're best friends you know Mm -hmm. and I think what's interesting about pretty much all the moments we've talked about thus far there's a little overlap but for the most part they're all pre-Max Medina Like, Mm -hmm. he, I think, is introduced by the time of these last ones we've been talking about, but he's not really, like, a big deal yet. And I think that that's a cool thing from a writing standpoint, that they laid this. And 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 if you look, I feel like some of the Luke and Lorelai flirtation gets a little less obvious. And that's why you were so struck at the beginning by, like, whoa, he's, like, an asker out, you know, Um, because it becomes almost out of bounds, you know? Right once she's taken or he's taken or she's taken or he's taken like the we can't necessarily lay these bricks the way we did in the first eight episodes yeah yeah Yeah, like there's a little bit more to navigate because it kind of seems like and we'll talk all we'll talk all about the other people that they date including john (laughs) ham um in the next episode (laughs) uh but you do it just like adds this layer to navigate but you kind of like it's kind of assumed that she hasn't dated a lot before mm-hmm. we start this series because Rory maybe because Rory was so young. She says like in that same in that rune episode, rune where went out where where he almost asked her out right before that. Like what leads him to that in that conversation? Because they're watching Suki and Jackson, 
And she says, oh man, like, do you remember early in a relationship when you're just like Twitter? Something, she says something like, when yeah. it's all fun and exciting. And every like, touch, want- every blah, blah, blah. Yeah. She says like, I want that again. And he goes like, you'll have it. And she's like, I guess. Like, they just have this whole thing. And it's like, yeah. So from that, I think we can glean that like, she really hasn't been dating that much since Christopher. Early on in, in that episode where she takes Roy to her first day at Chilton and everyone is giving her shit about the like Daisy Duke shorts and the pink shirt, the trench coat. He, he too, he too does not miss an opportunity to give her shit about it. He also is like, that's what you wore, which yeah, I mean, obviously he had to take an opportunity. Um, but she sits there and they have this conversation. I'm pretty sure it's this moment, but either way, she he gives her coffee, which as we learned from the dialogue that we listened to is like a hard press for him. And then she like has to go really quickly and she's like, oh, I need to pay you. And he says something like, no, you didn't ask for it or like it's on me. And it's just a really small gesture, but such a simple gesture of this is not a thing I like. This is a thing you like and I'm doing it for you because it matters to you. Right. And being able to like identify how stressed out and upset she is, especially like I feel like he's always done a really good job when it comes to the Rory stuff of identifying when it's when it's a bad moment with Rory or when she's disappointed Rory or Rory is in a fight with her. He's so aware of it. And I feel like that's also such the um, hard part about having like a big what if crush is that there's someone who knows you so well and cares so much so they'll come in with this knowledge that they have above you and be like oh I know this must be like a really hard thing for you and then come in with a gesture like that like what you're saying just take the coffee and you like melt because who else would very few you know not everybody knows me well enough to know what I needed in that moment and sometimes it's in Sometimes that very same quality is infuriating because in in the hospital episode, once they finally like get info on Richard and they get him into a room, she can't go in. And she's like, I have to go find Rory, my mom. And then he's like, I can find him. And she's like, no, I got to do it. And then like her mom shows up and she's like, okay, great. Let's go in. She's like, oh my God, I'm Rory. And then Rory shows up and she's like, oh my God. And he's like, who are you going to look for now? Like, what is he says? Like Jimmy Hoffa or something that should keep you busy. Because he can tell, like, immediately that she's just putting up this defense mechanism. And she's like, um, no. Like, but she, in that moment, like, needs this defense mechanism. And he's like, okay, but you're going to have to go in the room eventually. He knows her so well in that moment that it's, like, infuriating. And it's helpful, but it doesn't feel helpful to her because she would rather crawl under a rock. Right, right. Yeah, I that whole episode of him taking her to the hospital is so good. So... I feel like we led into this like pretty naturally. There are things that are awesome about having a big what if crush. And there are things that are, as you said, infuriating about it. So let's talk about uh, pros and cons. What are are the fun parts about having this big what if person in your life? I mean, it's exciting. I think especially because you don't have to deal with the like kiss a few toads element of other relationships. Like, uh, things that aren't this relationship, you go on a first date, a hinge date, a bumble date, whatever, and you have to endure at least a dinner of small talk or voices and bits and bad jokes. And you're dating too many comedians. A hundred percent guilty as charged with the voices and the bits. Um, but you have to endure this again, kiss a few toads element. And I think what's exciting about a what if relationship is that there's already a basis. There's already a foundation. You could even like, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily suggest it, but I feel like a lot of these relationships, 
don't start with dating. You just are friends, you know each other, and then it's your boyfriend. And then it's your girlfriend. Right. Which is kind of, I feel like, what so many of us want, you know, in this like age of all the dating apps of like, I don't want that. I just like want to like know someone and get to know them naturally and then happen to fall in love. Like it's what we all want. And I think the what if having a what if person keeps this possibility of that still happening. So it's this titillating hope for like a big love story. I also think it's just like very, I don't know. I feel like I walk around with a lot of like big crush energy and <laughs> need to put that into somewhere. So having somewhere, and I think actually Luke, Lorelai and Luke do not walk around with big crush energy. I think that they really have their feelings bottled up. Yeah, rule bottled up, rule suppressed. Because they just didn't have all that like acting training that we did to uh, free their emotions. Um, Wait, wait. Are you saying we didn't all cry on the floor at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday? Some of of us cried louder than others. And those were the better (laughs) actors, the ones that (laughs) cried the loudest. A plus. Um, But I think it is like entertaining to have that place for your brain to go it is fun and does give you a little bit of hope for people like I think both of us are very much <laughs> hopeless romantics and yeah. want that whole thing. I also feel like you inspired me while you were saying this just now and it's kind of the adult version in as much as we ever become adults of when you would like sit in the backseat of your parents car and listen to your iPod and pretend you were in a music video you know what I'm talking about? It's the adult version. You get to carry a small fantasy with you throughout your day. And it doesn't really affect your goings on. It doesn't affect your job or your friendships for the most part. You get to just sort of have this in the back of your mind, like also story that's going on, like, and this. And it's like a little bit of a safe adventure. Mm-hmm. Even in modern day, uh, being the modern day music video, which is I feel like being in your car, like being on the subway, listening to music to like have a person to think about when a love song comes on and just like have somewhere for that to go. I think for some people, not for everyone, definitely not for, as we said, Luke with Lorelai, but I think for some people is like important to have that person. Yeah. What's so funny then from just the, you know, casual actor standpoint, I'm like, Guilty as charged and not really enjoying substitutions. But every now and then I get to use an old what if as a substitution. And that's fun because I have all these, you know, old memories or fantasies. And I say old because I I don't necessarily consider myself in a what if right now. But you get to draw on these things even later in your art. So for artists, I I encourage you to go out and get a what if. Go have a what if. It's fun. But also, okay, the bad parts of it is that I feel like a what if can very quickly get into depending on where you are and what you need and how I don't know, sexually frustrated you are like it can quickly turn into more than it actually is or more than that person is ready for or giving you and then you drive yourself crazy because you're reading all of these signs that may or may not be there. Yeah. And that's, I think, part of the frustrating thing with a what if as well is obviously we're talking about a lovely example and we're talking about our OTP, you know, TV love, but like they're probably not all good. Sometimes a what if is a what if because it's not a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) And um, for various reasons. I mean, I think uh, the even in the lovely example, it could not be a good idea. And I think the most common thought process is this is my best friend. I don't want to fuck it up. And I think we've, so we've seen that with a ton of our friends. I think we could count on 
you know, both of our hands, every finger, a friend who has that feeling of, I don't want to fuck it up. And, oh, sure. Can I, can I curse? Is it okay? Yeah. Well, we'll just, it just means we'll have a little E next yeah. to us, which is fun and spicy. I, I'm emphatic about it. You have to know how passionate I am about this. Yeah. Um, and so for that reason, even in a good what if, it might be a bad idea. But in a bad what if, it might be a bad idea because like it's truly a bad idea. And right. whether it's a what if for, you know, chemistry reasons or wit reasons or, you know, emotional trauma bonding reasons, um, those might be things that you might not want to explore, but feel compelled to for whatever reason. Yeah. And I was, I was actually thinking about this earlier because I was thinking about how I crave a long game. And I was actually like, how many people do I know in real life that their long game turned out, their big what if turned into a healthy, fruitful relationship? Very few. Very few. That I know. Yes. Meaning you got to think, hopefully this would be the case. And again, obviously it was for Luke and Lorelai, but it wasn't without its its fair share of work. If you think of something that was that had that much tension bubbling up under the surface for so long, the most likely conclusion is an explosion. Right. You know yes. what I mean? Of, of some kind. Of some kind. Of some kind. But usually probably. <laughs> like, yeah. Usually. Something's going to get destroyed when there's an explosion. Yeah. You, I mean, to be fair that's how universes are formed too. I mean, like a star is born wow. when like a gassy nebula collapses, like that's going to be painful as well. Um, wow. Thank you so much. Black holes, our science general education class. I know what I know. Barely passed. You, made me the, you made me the basic astrology bitch I am today. But yeah, like there's going to be some sort of uh, big bang at the end there one way or another. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and I think part of the reason, which obviously this is what we have so much to talk about, is like the reason it works out for them is because of their own growth as individual people, because of their growth together. So I do think if you have a what if crush, I think it only works out if there is some work on each side, because if it's not happening right now, there probably is a reason. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Like this concept of right person, wrong time. And I think that's actually really why Luke and Lorelai are such a good example of a what if, because in the best way, they're both so flawed. I love Lorelai so much. She's such an icon. She's such a role model, but like, bitch makes mistakes. You know what I mean? And like, that's such a cool sort of role model to grow up watching, but like, you cannot take, like I said, your emotional trauma into a relationship with someone else and be like, deal with it. And neither could Luke, as we saw, he had a ton of stuff that he was just shoving down. So I think there was no chance of them getting together for real in earnest in these early episodes because they both had to do that self-homework. Anything else we have to say about pros and cons of the crush, of the big of your big what if crush? No, man, I feel like that was no. all really good. So if you have a big what if crush in your life, find us on Instagram and DM us and let us know. We have lots of thoughts about them. And I think most people do have this person in your life. So we want to hear your traumas and your woes and also the things you like about it. Yeah. Give me your advice too, because I don't know that I, I'm, I'm almost certainly not done with what if relationships, mm-hmm. but at the moment I'm deluding myself into thinking that I am because a psychic in New Orleans told me I was going to marry someone I've never met yet. That's so funny that you say that because this week my grandma, who thinks she's a psychic, also told me I haven't met the person that I'm going to marry yet. And I was kind of 
very disappointed, even though I should absolutely <laughs> not marry any of the men that have existed oh, in my life so far. That's, I agree. I was like, I actually, it's so funny. I was totally relieved because I was like, I should not marry any of these men that I know. But I also was sad because of the thrill. Like I, I, when I found out, I was like, that's no fun because there's no mystery to solve. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like who is it? How are they going to change? Maybe, maybe they'll surprise me by finally changing. Oh, that's an uh, unhealthy attitude. Sure is. Sure <laughs> is. Any other thoughts on really early seasons? We like discussed most of what I was going to say, which is just that like, it's so much more blatant than I thought. And I think the reasons it doesn't happen is partially just good writing and Amy Sherman Palladino, like knowing what the people want and giving them a slow burn. But also Max and Christopher both come in at these prime moments where it really feels like something's about to happen. And I do think that she had to go through a process with both of them to be able to allow space for Luke, which is what we'll talk about next time is like these roles that these other people played in her being ready for the Luke relationship. I'm glad you brought that up again, though, because my last thing that I want to say is about how you were surprised how often they were thrown together early on, because I both agree and disagree based on (laughs) being the TV nerd that I am, genre and network, because I agree in from a life standpoint, but from a one hour drama on the WBCW standpoint, I completely disagree. And I think it comes back to stakes. I think it comes back to the fact we're used to seeing these big love stories in one hour dramas that are like life or death. Do you know what I mean? And so they're thrown together all the time in these overt ways of like, I die for you. Like the fucking guy in uh, Inside Out, I die for Riley. They're thrown together in these high stakes ways. Um, And I think the stakes on their relationship grow over time. Um, but even the things that you see early on, like there wasn't super overt sexual tension. There weren't super overt acts of service. They existed, but they were like normal people versions of those things. Even later, he builds her the huppa and that's like a big grand gesture. But like him, um, it was just run of the mill stuff. Like when he comes over to help her look for the chick or when she's helping with the diner and they and she, he's like, hey, there's this thing that my dad wrote. And she's like, oh, cool. Like that's kind of just stuff that would happen to normal people, you know, and even the sexual tension of, of them almost kissing or like him coming over and thinking it's a booty call. It's not like, oh, I thought you brought me over here for this. Like when he's wrong, he's like, oh, shit, let's find the chick. Like it's just, yeah, not, you know what I mean? And it's just yeah. a normal people thought process of, oh, I guess I imagined that, you know. And I read this somewhere, so I definitely don't take credit for this. But once since reading it, it's now what I like to call the Schrodinger's flirt, in which I am both flirting with you and totally kidding, depending on whether or not you're interested. Uh huh. <laughs> That's also brilliant. I whoever came up with that, all credit goes to you. It's so funny and it's so real because you like put these things out there waiting to see how it goes and then you have every ability to either dive fully in or be like yeah no 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 totally 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 whatever cool 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 cool. yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, amazing i think i am someone when i'm watching tv flirtation ships happen i feel like because i didn't watch as many like cw dramas i watched a lot of comedy and sometimes that 
those relationships unfolding were so subtle. And I feel like I was always the one being like, oh my God, but he looked at her for an extra three seconds. <sighs> so there's still OTP. And like you see it on his face that he yeah. hasn't forgotten about her. So like looking for these really subtle clues. But yeah, in yeah. the context of like a CW drama, <laughs> very run of the mill normal, which is also I think why they're so relatable because they are these subtle moments that you yourself go through where you're like, ah, what? No. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I've totally been in that situation. Also, I feel like I need to circle back now because we've used a term a couple of times that I feel like we didn't define, which is OTP, which for for the the layman listener (laughs) stands for one true pairing. One true pairing. If you've never been on a television blog. (laughs) If you've never visited (laughs) fanfiction.net. Katie, what'd you write fan fiction for? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I wrote if you tell me what you wrote. Or read. Twilight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I would read I, I was a non-discriminate reader. I would read Veronica Mars. I would read mm-hmm. um there's some good supernatural ones and nice. Twilight, of course. <laughs> tell me yours, but I already know. I wrote an alias fan fiction, which uh, uh, was just the romance part. I did not write any spy part. I did not write any action sequence. It was fully just about Sydney and Vaughn, like slowly getting together. And then my other one was a lost fan fiction, which was also a very like Jack and Kate romance centric. I was team Jack of- too, even though Sawyer was sexy as fuck. I was team Jack. And that's one that, like, if I do, I'll be interested to see as a full sexually awakened adult if I am more Team Sawyer. But at the moment, I was like, Jack and Kate are OTP. I get so, listen, on the forums, this was a big issue if you were a jader or a skater. Yeah, so I wrote some Jack and Kate fan fiction. Yeah, my, uh, one of my Twilight ones, they were all really short. There were, like, three of them. They were super short because I had no focus as a child. One of them was a song fic set to um, Monster by Meg and Dia. And someone commented and replied that I really, (laughs) this is so terrible, I really captured Edward's uh, ages old voice. And I just will take that with me to the grave. Oh, yeah. I'm a nerd. I think quarantine quarantine has really reminded me that I am a nerd. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Also, this is just like what we were meant to do. This is our destiny. I feel so fulfilled. To reveal ourselves. Okay, so wrapping it up, we're going to go into our final segment of the episode, which is called All Aboard! All Aboard! All Aboard! In which we describe the moment that we are on board with this couple, the moment that you completely ship their relationship or support this person as an individual, um, the moment that if it happened to you, you would be like, take me now, sailor. Yeah, take me now, sailor. And then you can either, you know, the ship is leaving the dock. You can either stand where you are and wave goodbye, or you can jump on board and have the ride of your life. Jump on board this ship, baby. The moment for me in this like early episodes that I was on board is this moment. Ugh, it's just this is also I'm just so acts of service is she's all upset because she loves Christmas. She loves the snow and she's not getting any Christmas spirit. And she like asks him if he has anything festive. And obviously he's Luke, so he doesn't. And then he comes back and he makes her a Santa burger. <laughs> What did you do? You wanted something festive. You made me a Santa burger. It's no big deal. He has a hat and everything. Yeah, I just cut a piece of Wonder Bread, you know, poured on a little ketchup, piped on a little cream cheese. No one has ever made me something quite this disgusting before. I thank you. You're welcome. So that for me is the moment where I'm like, 
take me down, Luke. It's oh, I, yeah. I would be all over for me. That's so but funny that you mentioned your love languages because I hadn't thought about that. But I have I have two moments that I was all aboard. They're like little, but they're both uh, words of affirmation, which uh, I am that bitch. So my first one is really early on. Again, in that moment I talked about when she uh, dropped Rory off at school for the first time and then is there and everyone's giving her shit about her outfit. She talks about how this random... Chilton dad was nice to her and then found her at the inn and asked her out. And he's like, but you said no. Right. And she's like, uh, yeah. Why? And he's like, I just, I just feel like it's a good idea that you didn't go. He like, can't even make any sense of why he didn't want her to go. And so of course, neither can she, but it's so recognizable and familiar that moment where I'm like, you don't even know what's going on. But I know God forbid a man be in touch with their feelings for you. Like, Like, oh God, but he's just so like, good, good. It's not. And it's like, forgive me for being like that basic TV watching bitch, but it's just the right amount of protective that's not smothering. He just cares about her. And I'm like, cool. So that's my one moment. And that's earlier technically. But then the moment that really, you know, uh, pulled up the, the thing on the dock as the ship left the harbor was in the Christmas episode as well. I think that's the same scene, but before, just prior, just a. B.S. B. Santaburger. They're talking about Dean because Rory and Dean had just gotten caught like sleeping, whatever. And so it's this big scandal. And uh, Luke's like, tell me you like forbid her to see the bag boy. And Lorelai's like, um, no, I didn't forbid her to see the bag boy. And it launches them into this big banter back and forth about like why she didn't. Hey. Rory coming? No. Is she on a date? <laughs> no. Good, so you forbid her to see the bag boy. I'd really rather not talk about it right now. Just tell me you forbid her to see the bag boy. I did not forbid her to see the bag boy. Are you crazy? Well, he looks like he's moving up to produce, so he's suddenly become quite a catch. That kid is trouble. Can I order, please? First time I looked at him, I thought he was trouble. Excuse me, I'm the one who told you I thought he was trouble, and you told me you thought I was crazy. You are crazy, and he is trouble. He is not trouble. He's six foot two. He's beautiful. And he's completely in love with my daughter. Trouble. Big time. I'll get your burger. If you look at it on paper, she makes some decent, like, logical points. And he does not. And he he just, his point changes, like, second to second based on whatever she said. But, like, he's always right in his mind and in the way he's talking. And that conversation was so familiar to me. And that's what made me think about the magnets concept of the banter. They're just spinning. He just can't even sort of get his feet on the ground in this argument because he's so intoxicated by her or like incapacitated by her. What he's saying makes no sense. And I just, I just know being on her side of that conversation. And you're like, what are we talking about? I'm so confused but he's like so passionate and you're like okay <laughs> or that moment you know where you're talking to someone and they're suddenly they like take one thing you say and suddenly get so emotional and you're like what are we even like how did we get to this place yeah you're like i missed that so though laurel i missed the boat in that conversation i hopped on from then forward because of banter and because of his protectiveness because of the banter and because of how 
confused they both were, I think. I I think it's really fascinating for me to see two people who are always in control kind of lose control. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel personally victimized by my own assessment. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's why it was so compelling to me because I was like, oh, this is something that is sort of beyond both of their depths. What a cool opportunity for growth, etc. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's all we have to say for now. And in the next episode, we're going to be talking about all the people that they date and those frustrations and watching your what if person date another person and how that's horrid, but also maybe an opportunity for growth. (laughs) We evolved TV watcher. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can find us on Instagram at Talking Ship Podcast. Send us your thoughts about your what if crush, about these kind of initial flirty thoughts. And we're going to have an episode at the end of the season where we kind of talk about all the things that we missed. So send us other things you want to talk about. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Grab a cup of of Joe. I'm like actually need so much coffee. I was going to drink coffee during this and be. I was going to have us take shots before this, but um, (laughs) next time. Awesome. Bye. Bye, everyone. Audience. Goodbye. All right, everyone. That's our show, as they say. Thank you so much to Katie Butterwitz for being here. You can follow her on Instagram at Katie underscore Bud and on Twitter and TikTok at Katie Butterwitz. Thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our fabulous theme music that you're currently listening to. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Meisner, M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram while you're there. We're at Talking Ship Podcast or visit our website, TalkingShipPodcast.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all of the platforms. That's Megan with no H. Thank you very much. And 815 like Flight 815 from Lost. Yep, that's quite literally the reason. Please, please subscribe to and review the pod if you want to be a pal. And if you don't want to be a pal, that's ultimately your choice. I can't really stop you, but I do hope you keep listening either way. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you feel satisfied and satiated. And I hope you join us again. This has been Talking Ship. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.